in talking to, uh, of course, I knew what Brother Anderson would preach Sunday morning. I did not know what he was going to teach Sunday morning. And so I, I had some people had texted me and commented on it. And, and so I asked him, I said, what did you teach on? And uh, he told me, he said, I, I taught on the Godhead, basically. He said, I started with something else, but we wound up with the Godhead. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, um, I said, well, that's awesome. I said, because last, the Sunday before that, I taught on the Godhead. <laughs> and I said, if I would have been teaching again, I'd have been teaching on the Godhead again. And so I said, no doubt, it's some things we needed to hear. And... Uh, He's a tremendous teacher and preacher, very gifted, and I appreciate them being away from the church they pastor to be here uh, very much. I'm sure grandkids helped with that a little bit. I'm sure they did. So I've been trying to preach this message for a while now. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna preach this message tonight. Uh, a cup of I'm, my time's all messed up, so um, a few Wednesdays. Ago, I uh, was going to teach this message, and then I came up here into the pulpit and felt led to go a different direction, so I didn't. And then the following Sunday, I was going to preach this message, and the Lord moved in here in such a powerful way that last Sunday we were here, and uh, and God, what God was doing, I didn't want to mess with. And so I, I just said, we'll just save that for a. A later date. So I feel like tonight would be a good time to go into this. And so uh, I, I'll probably preach a little bit more than I will teach tonight, if that's okay with you. And that don't mean you have to jump up and down. If you do, that's all right. But but I won't be offended if you don't. I know you've had long days. But I appreciate you being in the house of God and letting the world, the devil, and our great God know where your vote lies tonight by showing up here in God's house. Amen. Let me read one verse of scripture from 2 Samuel chapter number 22 and verse 4. You can remain seated. The Bible says this, I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. Would you say that with me? I will call on the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from mine enemies. Now, I want to preach to you tonight that there is a divine connection between worship and victory. There's a divine connection between your worship and your victory. Can somebody say amen? amen? Lord, if you would please move in this room tonight, God, help us this evening to get an understanding, a revelation. Let our eyes be open to the truth, God, that you have established a divine connection between these two things, God. Between our worship and the victory that you will give us. We'll give you all the praise and all the glory in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. Um, if you were to go read Second Chronicles chapter number uh, 20. And, and just go through that and, and do a little studying there you would find in that chapter that there is a tremendous testimony of the power, uh, the ability, the effect that worship can have on our circumstances. In that moment, in that time in Israel's history, three of their worst enemies decided that they would 
combine their armies, the Moabites and the Ammonites and, and the children of Ammon, uh, would all come together in Syria, and, and they would come together, and, and they would overthrow the people of God, and they would invade Judah, and they would seek to, to uh, just dismantle this people that God had established so many years ago. And let me just stop and tell you tonight that if he can, the enemy of our soul will always do everything he can to try to uh, destroy, deconstruct what God has built. The devil wants to deconstruct what God has constructed in your life. He'll use any means possible. He'll do everything possibly that he can to try to see things come apart that God has put together. And it won't be a one-time thing. This is not going to be, I'll fight this battle one time. I'm not telling you not. I know, y'all, my OCD's messing with me. My keys sitting here is bothering me too bad. So I'm going to go give them to my wife, okay? Y'all pray for me, all right? <laughs> um, this is not going to be a one-time battle that, that you're going to fight this battle. And if you will win it this time, it will be completely done with. I'm going to tell you right now. The devil's going to keep coming back. He's going to keep knocking on that door. He's going to keep trying to bother you. He's going to keep looking for an opportunity whereby he can get in and bring you down. The Bible did say that if a devil is cast out of a man, that it didn't say he was going to leave and never come back. It said he would leave. He would go find seven more stronger than himself, and he would try to make his way back into that place. And if he finds that there's nothing there to keep him out, he'll come back in with seven stronger. The devil's always looking to tear people down. So these three enemies, they come together. They, they are going to overthrow the people of God. And whoever's helping with air tonight, please don't let it get too cold in here. If you would help our, our great saints of God out tonight. Somebody say amen. It was unexpected. They did not expect it. It was unprovoked. They had not provoked this trouble. And suddenly uh, upon Judah descends these armies. And where there were formerly peaceful skies. Now you can hear the it's like thunder and lightning striking. And, and out of the blue like a summer storm. Here they are facing this tremendous unforeseen obstacle life is that way sometimes it happens to churches it happens to families it happens to individuals just like it happened to Judah from out of the blue a difficulty arises and the thing that you've invested yourself in suddenly falls and it seems like everything that was pointing forward is 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 threatened at this point and your future is is Threatened in in an instant, hopes can be dashed and dreams can be threatened. Without any forewarning, uh, something begins to try to work against you to destroy you. It may have been bright, brilliant in the morning. And then by afternoon, it's a cloudy afternoon. and, And then with the evening, there can come a horrifying storm. Just that quick, it can happen. My wife and I were driving around the island of Oahu. Y'all aren't going to like my illustrations for a while, probably, okay? <laughs> we rented a motorcycle, and we were driving around the island of Oahu. Can you believe I got her on a motorcycle with me? And 
it's just, it's blue skies. We had gone up to the North Shore, which is a beautiful area, and, and it's blue skies, and we're just, and we're just cruising and, and just having a great time. It's beautiful, beautiful sights. You got mountains on one side, you got the ocean on the other, and, and we're going. And then as we were coming back into Honolulu uh, area, <laughs> I, I just feel bad saying Honolulu, you know. I feel like it's a, like it's a bad word almost or something. As we're coming back into Honolulu, uh, all of a sudden it starts raining on us out of the, out of the blue. It's just it's raining, and it's not just raining; it was pelting. And it, you ever been hit by that rain that just kind of feels like it's stinging you? And the fact that we're on a motorcycle didn't help that any. And it, it, there it was. Just one moment it was a blue sky; the next moment we're in a rainstorm. It's how it was for. Uh, Judah, the messenger, had come running from afar, giving the news that uh, there is an impending defeat that is facing us. There's a huge army that's on its way from beyond the Dead Sea to fight you. There is no time to waste. There's, they're already on the march. There's very little time left to prepare. And the king of Judah was a man by the name of Jehoshaphat. And Jehoshaphat was shaken and Judah was stirred and and it's that kind of news that, that causes everybody to become fearful. But I want you to know that although the situation seemed to be hopeless, they were not a people without any hope. In their moment of crisis, they turned their eyes. Jehoshaphat told them, we need to cry out to God. And they turned their eyes toward heaven. They turned their hearts toward the Lord. And led by that king, they came together from far and wide to the house of God. And when they got to the house of God, they began to call fervently on the name of the Lord. I want to tell you tonight that that's always your best solution is to begin to call out on God. When storms come into your life, you don't have time to figure your way out of this. You're not going to have time to, to come up with some elaborate plan whereby you will escape this. When things come upon you unawares, there is only but one thing to do, and that is to call on the name of the Lord. <laughs> Hallelujah. We don't choose when the storms come, but we can choose to control what happens when the storms come. There were a lot of things they could have attempted to do. They could have ran to allies. They could have tried to raise an army to meet the foe. They could have gone to the bankers and they could have raised the money to hire mercenaries to fight for them. They could have tried a lot of different things, but they realized at the end of the day, we only really have one hope, and that is in the Lord our God. So they turned to Him in their hour of need, and God heard their cry as they gathered together at the house of the Lord and said, God, we're facing something right now and we don't know how we're going to get through it. And they said, Lord, if we've ever needed you, we need you now. I know our, far, our forefathers needed you at a Red Sea. And I know, God, that they needed you at walls of Jericho. And I know, the Lord, that they needed you when they fought the, the giant Goliath and, and the armies of the Philistines. But that was then, and this is now. And now it's the, it's, it's the same enemy. It's just, it, it's just got a new name on it. 
And the same enemy that was trying to destroy us back then wants to take us out now. And God, we didn't come here to just talk about what you have done, but we've come here to talk about what we need you to do. Let me tell you, boy, I feel like preaching tonight. Let me tell you, sometimes it's time we quit talking about everything God has done. I'm not talking about losing your testimony. I'm not talking about never discussing what God has done. But I'm saying every once in a while, it's not time to talk about what's in the past. It's time to say, God, I need you right now. Hallelujah. That's the problem with some people. There's too many people in churches. Boy, I feel like preaching tonight. And they've got faith in the God of yesterday, but they don't have faith in the God of today. And I'm, you're looking at one tonight that I'm just going to tell you. I'm not just going to have faith in what God has done. I've got faith for what God wants to do right here, right now, in this situation. So they cried out to God, and God heard their prayer. And God sent them an answer. The Bible said the Spirit of the Lord moved upon a man by the name of Jehaziel. He became a prophet that day to Judah. He delivered a word from God. The message was very, very simple. The Bible said in 2 Chronicles 20 and 14, then upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Beniah, the son of Jehiel, the son of Madaniah, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the Spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. He's in there. He's just praying with them. And all of a sudden, here comes the Spirit of God on him. And he said, Hearken ye, all Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem, and you, King Jehoshaphat, Thus saith the Lord unto you, Be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but it is God's. Hallelujah. He said, you listen up and you listen good. Everybody in the church needs to listen. The pastor needs to listen. Everybody needs to hear what God has said. He said, I came to tell you, God said, do not be afraid. And God said, do not be dismayed. For this battle is not yours, but it is the Lord's. And that's what I feel like I came to preach tonight. I came to tell somebody, it's time for you to lose your fear. It's time for you to quit being dismayed. The battle you've been up against. It's not yours. It belongs to God. It belongs to God. He said, uh, uh, verse 15, or verse number 16, Tomorrow go you down against them. Behold, they are going to come up by the cliff of Ziz. And ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeruel. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Set yourselves, stand ye still, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, he says it again. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. He said, go out to that battlefield. Stand against your enemy. And see the salvation of God. Jehoshaphat. 
emboldened by the word of the Lord. He gets up the next morning. He has what little ragtag army they do have. He gets them together. But before they ever march out of the camp to meet the enemy, Jehoshaphat said, before we do any of that, before we've got any soldiers getting out here, we're going to do something else. And he appointed singers to march in front of the warriors. It must have been something to see. Here is this army and, and, and these men of war wearing the accoutrements of battle. And they have on their armor and they have their swords and all of these things. And, and, and their flags are waving in the breeze. And yet in the midst of all of that, there was an even greater display. Here came the Levitical musicians. Here came Judah arrayed in the sacred vestments of the holy priest. They marched in front of the soldiers. They did not carry weapons, but their mouths were filled with praise to God. And when that army set out that day, from the very first step until they laid eyes on the foe, the hills and the valleys around them echoed with the songs of those priests as they praised God and gave Him glory and the beauty of holiness. Before they ever saw the enemy, they were all already praising God they were already giving God glory and thanking him for what he was about to do I would that we would get that kind of faith in our hearts tonight that before we ever get to where the enemy even is before you get to the doctor's office before you deal with that family situation before you ever get there I wish there'd be something rise up in you that says I know my God's about to do it I know my God's about to do it Woo, I feel so good tonight I know God's about to move I know God's about to work let something begin to rise in us that before we ever lay eyes on it, before the report ever comes, before it's ever laid down in front of us, I already kind of know what's getting ready to come down the pike. I already know there's an army coming my way. I know there's going to be three uh, different nations represented, so it's probably going to be a pretty significant group of people but before I live, ever lay eyes on them I'm going to go ahead and begin to praise God in advance for what he's going to do they probably looked ridiculous they were probably quite the spectacle an army preceded by a choir soldiers in battle armor being led by singers in the, in the garments of praise but the Bible says that as they sang and praised the Lord, that God set ambushments against the enemy. And the men of Mount Seir were late to join the invading army. And in an effort to get into the fight, they prepared ambush positions so that they could attack Judah as Judah marched to war. But God clouded their understanding, and they mistakenly ambushed the wrong army. So what God did is God said, all of you are working against my people. But what I'm going to do is cloud your mind. And the people you think you're attacking are not going to be my people. They're going to be your own people. And he set them against each other. And they began to fight one against the other. And Israel sat back and watched as God gave them the victory. Now you tell me right now, who else could do that but our great God? Somebody ought to give him a clap of praise tonight.
I tell you that Judah won a victory without ever raising a sword. The battle was not won with their weapons. The battle was won with their worship. And that story illustrates the power of worship. The divine connection between worship and victory. I came to tell you tonight, when you can't do anything else, you can raise your hands. When you can't do anything else, you can shout to the Lord with a voice of triumph. When you can't do anything else, you ought to give him a clap. If you can't do anything else, you ought to at least dance in place or do something. But you ought to, if, if you can't fight with the sword and with the bow and arrow, you can lift up your voice and give a shout. You can glorify God. There is power in your worship. That victory was won long after King David was already dead. But David was no stranger to the power of worship. He had immortalized the connection between worship and victory in Psalm 18. And it's interesting that that psalm is written at the very end of his life. You can read about it in 2 Samuel 22 and 4. David said, I will call upon the name of the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. David put it in song early in his life, but it was still in his heart at the end of his life. He said, every time I've ever worshipped God, I've tasted the sweetness of deliverance. Every time I've lifted my voice to Him, every time I begin to praise Him and exalt Him and lift Him up, He has saved me from my enemies. There's, There's a psalm that David wrote, and I can't remember the number of it right now. But the Bible said it's when he changed his behavior before Achish, the king of the Philistines. And he walked into that throne room where Achish was. And and this was when he was running from Saul. And they brought David. They had captured him. They brought him to Achish. And they said, here's David, the man who killed Goliath. Here's David, the man who caused us all those problems. And David got in there and he began to to feign himself mad, the Bible said. And he began to scrabble upon the walls. And, And... uh, we used to think that that just meant he just kind of scratching at walls. But you study that. You get to looking at that. That's when David wrote a psalm of God's victory and God's deliverance in his life. When David got in the middle of where his enemies were. When he was face to face with his foe. David, they thought he was mad. They thought he lost his mind. What he was really doing was he was worshiping God. He was saying, God, I don't have any. I, here I am. I'm in this room. There's guards down that wall there's guards down that wall there's guards on this wall I don't have anything I can do I'm one man I don't have a weapon in my hand I don't have anything I can do I'm surrounded in this room of this king and David just began to worship God in the middle of it they said he lost his mind what in the world is he doing he was doing the only thing he knew to do he was giving praise to God because when you don't have anything else you still have a praise so there he is what's he doing what's this madman doing he was writing on the walls what was he writing he was writing God is a very present help in the time of trouble (laughs) David was writing about how God was going to come through for him it was something he'd established early in his life and he had held on to it 
He wanted people who would follow him to know. The Lord has been my rock. He has been my fortress. He has been my deliverer. Folks, hard times is going to come. Trouble is going to take you by surprise. There will be sudden dark clouds that hide the glory of the risen sun. But when that happens, let me tell you what we must do. In my distress, in your distress, in our times of trouble and tragedy, when we, have, when we get the phone call we didn't want to get, and we have to deal with the thing we never wanted to deal with, in that moment I will call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised. So shall I be saved from my enemies. There's so much power in that word, so. In the face of certain defeat, I worshiped God and he delivered me. When a bear came into the camp to steal a lamb, I worshiped the Lord and he delivered me. When a lion threatened my flock, fear rose in my heart. I reminded myself of the greatness of my God and he saved me and he saved the sheep and he gave me a great victory. When I stood before a giant who towered over me and who mocked me, I reminded myself of the glory of God. You remember? He said, who am I? Goliath said, what am I? Uh, Am I a a dog that you'd send out a youth to me? Uh, He said, when I'm done with him, I'll feed him to the dogs and the fowl of the air will pick his bones clean. And David just began to talk about God. You, came to, you come to me with spear and a sword, but I come to you in the name of the Lord God of the host of the armies of Israel. You want to talk to me about who you are, Goliath? I didn't come to talk about you. I came to talk about my God. I didn't come to talk about you. I came to tell you about a God I serve who is worthy to be praised. Would you do that right now? Would you just give him some praise and worship in this room? Hallelujah. 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 Something you need to understand about worship. Sometimes we approach, approach worship as if it's something that God needs from us. It's almost like we have this image of God that that he will only bless us if we stroke his ego. If we tell him he's great. I'm going to tell you that nothing could be further from the truth. God does not need your worship. All of creation echoes with the worship of God. He said if you don't worship him, he could cause these stones to cry out. He doesn't need your worship. The angels in heaven glorify him 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. They don't worship him because he needs to be worshipped. They worship him because he deserves to be worshipped. They worship him because he's worthy to be worshipped. Creation, the sun, the stars, the planets, and everything in the reaches of our universe. It all declares his glory. When we drove down that coastline, and I looked up where those mountains were, and it was just gorgeous. And we flew in that helicopter, and they took us to where that waterfall was that went from the top of the highest peak all the way down to the ocean. And we saw all those beautiful things. It all is screaming about the majesty and the greatness of our God. But none of it worships Him because He needs it. They worship Him by their very existence because He created them. They are a testimony to the glory of God. 
you and I need to understand this about worship. It was never about what God needs. God doesn't command you and his word to worship him because he needs it. God commands us to worship him because we need to worship him. He doesn't command you to do it because he needs it. He commands you to do it because you need it. Why? Because worship causes us to stop. To consider the greatness of our God. Worship sharpens our sensitivity to the glory of God. Worship causes you and I to begin to see how mighty, how majestic He truly is. If you don't worship Him. If you stop considering His glory. If you stop reminding yourself of His mighty deeds. You will lose perspective of how great He really is. And with worship, it's really all about perspective. It's about sharpening our vision to see God's greatness. When we worship Him, we turn the focus uh, of our vision from our troubles, from our trials, and we put it on the matchless ability of our great God. When we worship Him, we can't stay fixated on the problem. When we worship Him, we have to get tuned in to who He is. When we worship Him, our faith is loose to see God as He really is. That's the heart of what David was saying. He was saying, as I call upon the Lord, I'm confronted with this fact. And that is that He is worthy to be praised. And the more that I praise him, the more I recognize his worth. The more I exalt him, the more I remind myself of his majesty and greatness. And I realize just how worthy he is to be praised. And whenever I get that view of God, that's when I begin to be saved and delivered from my enemies. Worship provokes faith. Worship stirs our hearts, not just to see His greatness, but to believe in the God who is great. Worship causes faith in our heart to continue to be built. For as I consider the majesty of God, I begin to realize that it really doesn't have any end. When I think of His goodness and all He's done for me, when I think of his goodness and how he set me free I could dance 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 all night it's when we begin to think about his goodness that's where the dance comes from and that's where the shout comes from and that's where the praise begins to come from I realize his goodness knows no boundaries. When I think about the mighty things he can do, I understand there's nothing he can't do. When I consider how far God will go to preserve those who will call upon his name, I begin to realize that there's nothing he won't do for those who call upon his name. Worship's not about making God feel good about who he is. Worship's about causing me to see God for who he is. Paul diagnosed the human condition and he arrived at the conclusion that unbelief in its most, in its most uh, basic sense, unbelief is a failure, Paul lets us know, to worship God. Romans 1.21, the Bible says, Paul writing, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God, neither were they thankful 
but became vain in their imaginations. And their foolish hearts were darkened when they knew God. Notice that. When they knew God, they refused to glorify Him as God. They didn't give Him the worship that He was worthy of. But notice this. When they didn't give God His worship, Joseph, it didn't change who He was. God didn't become any less great because they didn't worship Him. God didn't quit being God and say, well, I'm going to have a pity party here and I'm going to go sit down and I'll quit being God and you find out just how bad you could have it for a little while. No, God kept on being God. His glory wasn't diminished by their failure in worship. His strength, His power, His majesty, none of it went away because of their failure to worship. Their worship wasn't for God's benefit. When they refused to worship God, He just kept right on being God. Their failure, listen to this, their failure to worship did not have a negative effect on God. It had a negative effect on them. When they didn't worship God, they became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish hearts were darkened when they didn't worship God. You and I need to come to this understanding. Worship has a positive impact on the way you think. On the way you see things. And when they failed to worship, it affected their minds. You listen to me. I've, I've gone from preaching to teaching now. When they did not worship God, it affected their minds. It affected the way they thought about their situation. I've seen people in the same service. Somebody sit right here and somebody sit right there. And this one say, my goodness, didn't we have church today? Didn't God move in such a great way? I felt the power of God. And then this one over here saying, I didn't get nothing out of it. I didn't feel nothing. What, I thought it was. I thought the singers were off. I thought the preacher was off. I, okay. <laughs> Two people sat in the same service. What's the difference? One of them wasn't worshiping. One of them didn't have the right viewpoint. And it didn't change who God was. It just changed what they received. And this person got what they came for because they came looking at the God of creation in the right way. My God. So I came to preach tonight. I know it's Wednesday night, but every once in a while I have to rear back and preach. It's been a week and a half. I ain't been in the pulpit. I had to preach tonight, okay? I came to tell you, Sanctuary Church, tonight, your worship isn't what God needs. Your worship is what you need. And some of us would get our minds right if we would get our worship right. If we'll get our praise right, we'll get our minds right. If our worship is right, our hearts will be right. If your mind's fixated on the limitations of your circumstance, if all you can do is look around you at everything that is wrong, you will be captivated by that. But when you begin to worship Him and consider His abilities, as Jehoshaphat did, of what God can do, there's no limit to what he'll do. Faith, Paul said, it's the substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things not seen. Faith has a vision. And that vision is not limited by what we've seen with our natural eyes. But it operates in the realm of hope. And because of that, faith is not bound by the natural limitations that bind us. Faith is not defined by a doctor's report. Because in the face of that, 
Brother Randall, it hopes for a miracle. Cancer is what the report said. But miracle is what God said. Faith isn't hindered by our view of reality. Instead, it believes for what it hasn't seen yet. And the key to faith is this. It sees what it looks for. And worship causes us to look for the glory of God. So let me say it like this. Oftentimes, worship comes to search me out. To say, what are you focused on? What are you looking at? What are you seeing? Worship comes to find out what it is that I'm seeing. Faith will always see what it's looking for and worship points us in the direction of God. Worship enables us to encounter the power of God. So I would say to you tonight, and this is not being simple, and this is not being cliche, and this is not Pentecostal candy stick. I'm preaching truth from the Word of God. If you need a miracle tonight, worship Him. If you're walking through a valley, worship Him. If you don't know what to do, worship Him. If you're facing an enemy greater than you, worship Him. Worship will change the landscape of your life. It's almost, it's almost like uh, one those glasses that people put on in the past, and and they put those glasses on, and 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 it, it's it's got a it's got a picture set down in front of it, and so. Whatever's in that picture is what you see. And, and that becomes your reality because you look at it so long. And all you need really is to just pick your hand up and pull the picture out of the, out of the, the frame. And if you pull the picture out, you'll see something so much greater. And what the devil and what our enemy has tried to do to us is try to drop in uh, uh, pictures of storms and say, this is your reality. This is all you have. This is what you have to see. But what somebody needs to do tonight is say, you know what? That's what the devil's been telling me. But I'm getting ready. The devil is a lie. And I'm getting ready to pull that out. And I'm going to quit seeing what he's telling me to see. And I'm going to start talking about God. And when I do, whoo, look at that. Look at that. Isn't God so much bigger than I realize? The situation in front of me was causing me to think he was. Let your heart imagine what he can do. You face an enemy greater. He can change your life. Worship will cause a transformation in your heart. That it will be as if you step from a dark room into the brightness of the noonday. But there are too many people. And I've been, I've been kind of pastoring hard lately. I rebuked folks last Sunday I was here. And, and, and I don't apologize for it. It was in the Holy Ghost. And you need to hear what I said. That if you haven't heard that message, it wasn't a message. It was an altar call. If you haven't heard it, it's on the podcast, I believe. Uh, and and you, you need to go listen to it. Uh, or, or if it's not, it will be. <laughs> You need to go listen to what happened in the closing moments of that altar call because God began to speak. And I'm just going to tell you right now, some of us will, will be stuck and will stay stuck as long as we keep seeing what we want to see. And I, I, I want to tell you tonight, that's not the will of God for you and I. That's not the will of God for us. God wants us to see so much greater than we are seeing. And, and, and if you are 
negative and if you are cast down all the time. The Bible, David said, uh, he, he said, uh, I will say to my soul, oh soul, why are you disquieted within me? Why, why are you cast down inside of me? When you know the God that we serve. You know the God who leads me. Why would my soul get this way? That's why David had to encourage himself in the. And we're waiting for everybody else to do it. Stand up for a moment. We're waiting for somebody else to come up and pump our arms. Praise God. Like we're priming a well. Praise God. I'm picking on her because she's my wife. Wait, you ready? <laughs> All right. Waiting for somebody to come on, come on us. And go, ah! You're laughing, but I'm preaching right now. And if somebody will do all that stuff, I can get right. Shame on you. Why doesn't somebody say I've made up my mind? I'm in the battle of my life. I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know how it's going to work out. But I'm getting ready to encourage myself in the Lord. Day Woo! Hear me? David did it at Ziklag, and John did it on the Isle of Patmos, and you can do it in Jonesboro. You can make up your mind. <laughs> you can make up your mind. I will not let this be my reality. Somebody praise him right now. For Job, it was an ordinary day, and out of the blue, your flock of, of sheep, it's gone. Your herd of cattle, it's gone. Your camels, they're gone. Your children, they're dead. Just like that. Sun shining in the middle of all that, here come a storm. The Bible said, Job, what you going to do about it? Everything's ruined. Your wealth's gone. Your children dead. The Bible said Job got on his feet. He ripped his robe. He shaved his head. And he fell on the ground. And he began to worship God. There's a man who recognizes the power of worship. When you're shaken to your core. When you're troubled in your spirit. And you're trying to come to terms with what's going on around you. And you don't know anything else to do. Worship your God. Too often in time of trouble, we turn somewhere else. We turn everywhere else. We pursue anything but worship. We, we kid ourselves. We make ourselves think this is our answer. It's not our answer. Our worship is our answer. We walk into the house of God with a dejected, defeated spirit. That just goes to show we don't realize the power of our worship. And if you walk, and I, I know I told you I've been preaching strong. Get ready. I'm about to say something strong again. If you walk into this house and you're all defeated and you're all down and everything's bad and, and nothing can be right. It's not God's fault. It's yours. If you don't, if you can't get to, if, if you can't feel nothing during the during the worship time in our church. It's not the praise team's fault. It's yours. Boy, I'm, I'm supposed to be done. Now I got all inspired. It's not their fault. 
It's not their fault. It's not a musician's fault. It's not a singer's fault. You have to have all that to be able to worship God? Is, it, is that really you've got to have all that? Then you sure wouldn't have liked it around here in the early days. Y'all remember? We had a keyboard and loops on a phone. And that's what we had church with. And me leading all the songs. It was bad. That's, that's how. But you know what? God moved there. It's not about what you have. It's not about if you got drums and if you got the, the organ. All the, It's not about all that. It's about what I'm going to do with my worship. None of this dictates my worship. I dictate my worship. And if you don't want to worship God, that's not on anybody else. I, boy, I, help me, Lord. It's not on anybody else. It's on you. You've got to worship Him. You've got to worship Him. God, help us to understand the divine connection between our worship and our victory. They may have looked funny as an army, but I want to tell you tonight, that funny-looking army, there was more power in their worship than there was anything else they had. They were just a ragtag group. They didn't have very many. They were just a small group. But there was more power in their worship than there was in any bow and arrow than there was in any sword. And I tell you tonight, there's more power in your worship than there is anything else in this room right now. There is power in your worship. No wonder God let it be that when David went to the tabernacle to find a weapon, that the weapon that David found, what did he say of Goliath's sword? He said, give it to me for, anybody know? Give it to me for there is none like it. He said, there's no, there's no weapon like this weapon. Nothing like this. I've, 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 I'm a man of war. David was a man of war. Bloody hands can't build a temple. You're a man of war, David. David knew weaponry. David knew uh, all that stuff. He said, give me that one for there's none like it. But you know where it was? It was behind an ephod. It was behind, it was behind that garment of praise. You know the ephod he wore whenever they brought the ark into Jerusalem? And he went six paces and praised God. And he began to shout and give God the glory. To the point that Michael looked out a window and said, Oh, didn't you just look really classy and glorious today? Just really mixing it up with the common people out there worshiping God like you did. David said, if you thought that was something, you just keep watching. Because the worse the situation gets, the worse I get. Because I remember a king called Achish, and that was really bad. And you should have seen me in that moment scrabbling on the walls. They thought I'd lost my mind. You're, gonna, you're getting ready to think the same thing. So don't get surprised if you come in here one Sunday and some of us act like we lost our minds. We're okay. We're all there. We just know that we gotten to the point we can't do anything else and we need God to that degree. And I've found that people typically worship God to the degree they feel like they need Him. I gotta quit. However much you need Him, that's how you need to worship Him. Now, I'm through preaching tonight. I got more I could be talking about. But I wish we'd get up on our feet right now. I don't know what you're facing. I don't know what you came here facing. But I came here to tell you the answer. There is still power in worship. And there is victory connected to your worship. So I wish you'd begin to lift Him up and worship Him right now. Whatever you're facing, whatever you, before you ever see that army, you and I, 
We are as close to God as we choose to be. We will be as close to God as we choose to be. And however you choose to worship Him, that's how close to God you choose to be. Oh Lord, help us to get a hold of that connection. Because there's people in this room tonight, God. There's people in this room tonight, God. That all they need to do is get this revelation. And you're getting ready to give them a great victory. You're not waiting on their worship because they need it. Because you need it, God. You're waiting on them because they need it. They've forgotten how great you are. They've forgotten how able you are. But God, you're getting ready to show yourself strong. You said, all you have to do is cry out to me and I will save. So God, before I send out, any, before I send out the armor bearers, before I send out the, 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 the spear throwers, before I send out the, the, the archers, before I send out any of the other God, I'm sending out my praise tonight, Jesus. And I'm lifting you up. And God, you're getting ready to give us the victory.